welcome everybody. This is our first podcast from BAME OT UK, a Let's Talk series. This is episode one, Let's Talk with Black Female Occupational Therapists in the UK. This episode is taking place in Black History Month, October 2020. So, I think we should give a little background information about Black History Month. Black History Month event grew out of Negro History Week in 1926, the brainchild of well-known historian Carter G. Woodson, together with other prominent African-Americans. It began as a way of remembering important people in events in history of the African diaspora. President Gerald Ford, officially recognized Black History Month in 1976, calling upon the public to seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout history. Since 1976, every US president has officially designated the month of February as Black History Month. Black History Month is celebrated in October in the United Kingdom. It was first celebrated in the UK in October 1987. It was organised through the leadership of Ghanaian analyst Akiyaba Ade Sebo, who was a coordinator of special projects for the Greater London Council and through collaboration was able to get the project underway. But as we know, Black History can be celebrated every day, not just in October. So here we are. Thank you very much, panel, for giving up your evening to do our first BAME OT UK podcast. And we are blessed to have you all here with us today. So before we start our discussions, I'm going to go around the panel and ask you to say your name and your ethnicity, if that's all right. So I'm just going to go by um, who's with me at the top and then go round the panels. So first of all, I've got Odette. Hello, everyone. My name is Odette Richardson, and I was born in Jamaica. And then the next person is Kalima. Hey, so I'm Kalima. So I would say I'm a Black British from Caribbean heritage. And the next person I've got is Kosova. Hello, my name's Kosova. Um, I'm Black British with heritage from both Nigeria and Togo. And Sikla. Hi, everyone. So I'm Sikla. Uh, I've got heritage from Zimbabwe. Thank you. You're all welcome. And my name is Mushra Ahmed Landiu. I like to be called Mish. And I am um, British, Asian, Bangladeshi. So I'm going to ask my first question. I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> so my first question, and again, I'll, I'll go around the panels that are in front of me of your faces. How did you find out about occupational therapy? Can I ask Seekler that first, if that's okay? Yeah, of course. So I found out about occupational therapy from um, my sister's friend. She's also a black female, she's uh, Nigerian. So um, I was struggling, trying to decide what I'm, what I'm gonna do at university. And I remember she, was, she happened to be at our house and then she was like, oh, 
I'm an OT. <laughs> and, she was, and I was like, oh, what's that? I've never heard of that before. And then um, she kind of just explained it to me. And then after that, we kind of researched it. And every time I would call her up and she would tell me a little bit more about it. And then I remember just to get a bit more of an idea of it after talking to her, I organized um, to shadow some OTs in uh, some hospitals near me. And then I loved it. And then from then on, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to study at university. <laughs> so my one just, yeah, this is how I kind of found out about occupational therapy. But even though I'd seen it, I don't really think I knew it, knew it as, mm -hmm. as I don't think most people do until you actually go to university and then you learn it. And then of course you start practicing. So yeah, mm -hmm. that was quite, quite simple. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. So it's someone that you knew told you about it and that kind of sparked your interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's mm -hmm. great. Kalima, could you answer that question too? Yeah, so actually mine was my sister, actually. I was researching again what I wanted to do because I'd finished university from a previous degree a few years before and I wanted to do something different. So I was actually looking at physio and midwifery. And then my sister said, well, about occupational therapy. So, oh, what's that? So again, do some research online. And around about that time, my grandmother was being discharged from hospital. And she also had an OT that was working for her discharge planning as well. You know, set up a microenvironment downstairs and things like that. So I had a little bit of knowledge um, seeing that and also just uh, just research. But yeah, it was, initially it was my sister that told me about the, the, the profession. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So another one who knew somebody who was yeah. already in the profession, Kosovo. Yeah. Oh, so I didn't know anyone who was already in the profession. Um, so I was in sixth form trying to decide what I wanted to do when I went to university. Um, I had a real interest in drama therapy. I, I'd studied drama at GCSE and A-level when I thought, right, that's definitely what I want to do. But then found out that to get into drama therapy, you need to do something before it because it's a postgraduate degree. So then I was a bit stuck and I was thinking, oh God, right, what am I going to do to get into drama therapy? Which is when I came across occupational therapy. Um, and again, my mum was a nurse, so I knew a bit about, but I was like, I don't want to be a nurse. I, I want to do something different. Um, so contacted some occupational therapists, went and spoke to them in different areas. And then, yeah, as, you know, applied for the for degree and I've ended up falling in love with OT. So that's what I do now. Oh, no, that's brilliant. So um, you, you had someone who worked in the health service, but you didn't yes, really want yeah, to do yeah. that. Oh, yeah. That's really interesting that there's some connection to the health service already. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, 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 that's really interesting. And a death. What okay, so I, I first came across occupational therapists when I was working as a healthcare assistant at Norfolk Park Hospital. I was working in theatres at the time and I was sent to collect a patient from the rehabilitation ward. And I went up onto the ward, my first time on the ward and the OT was doing a session with the patient. And I was really fascinated. And I thought, mm, I could do this. I, I'm quite liking it and um, my boss at the time wanted me to train to become a nurse and I thought no I think I'm going to do OT so that was my first exposure but I was really really fascinated and I was hooked since then. Can I ask each of you also how long have you been a qualified practitioner? Can I start with Odette? Just over 20 years. Just over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Kalima? Mm -hmm. Around seven and a half years. 
Not a small number either. <laughs> Katua? I'm still a baby, just over four years. Oh. <laughs> and Sikla? Yeah, same as Kalima, about four years as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that's that's really good. I just remember, I think I was probably around eight years into clinical when mm. I left and um, went into education. So, I, so I've been in occupational therapy education for about 18 years and I haven't looked back. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely mm. keeps my interest going. Yeah. So the next question is what specialism do you work in as an occupational therapist and what does your work involve? So can I go to Kosovo? So I currently work in an integrated care team. I previously worked in acute mental health and started within my role in the ICT in January 2019. So I've been there just over a year and a half. Um, so my role, I work in this integrated, so I work with physios, nurses, healthcare assistants. I work both in the community and in a nine-bedded rehab unit, which is actually based within a nursing home. So we've got some beds that are funded by the NHS by a local CCG. Um, so I tend to go out and see people in their own homes, tends to be people that have been discharged from hospital or are struggling um, um, deterioration in mobility or general functioning, they're struggling to do the things that they're able to do before. So I see quite a, a range of patients, some of them can be fairly fit, they've had a fall and trying to get back up on their feet all the way to end of life and palliative care as well. So supporting people in their final moments, getting the right intervention in place, equipment, et cetera. And then in the rehab, um, it's generally patients that have come from hospital, again, falls, fractures, um, people that have been off legs, just struggling. And then we spend time with them, trying to rehabilitate them and then sending them back home into the community. So there's like a, a theme there about sort of getting people back to yeah. home or yeah. back to the residential home yes. so yeah. that they can go back yeah. to somewhere familiar again. This is it, back to their norm and giving them, you know, the tools that they've potentially lost or didn't have before to support them with what they need to do. And that's what I love about OT as well. It's, it's about enabling someone to do what they want to do and what's important to them. Yeah, that's very uh, that's what I find fascinating about us yeah we we use that life experience mm. and activities to enable people to get back to what they want to do yeah. need to do have to do exactly and we, we're everywhere, we're everywhere. Yeah. yeah I know all over <laughs> <laughs> Odess what about yourself okay so I have had a varied career I started my occupational therapy career as a basic grade OT and I did a rotational post because I thought that was a great post to get my foundation skills. So I did a bit of mental health, newer rehab and some hospital-based acute OT. I knew quite early on when I trained that I wanted to work in social services. So I spent quite a few years working as a social services OT and then I became a duty team manager. And then after that, I decided I wanted a change, so I moved up north and I applied for a job within an acute hospital setting. And so today I am working as a head of service for occupational therapy and professional lead for our community teams. So my, my normal role currently is to provide professional leadership for the team 
also to sort of represent the trust at strategic events in terms of ensuring that staff also have the requirements that they are adhering to so that professional standards are set and maintained and monitored. And that includes looking after staff on honorary contracts as well. So I also, by role also entails operational management, which means ensuring that we've got enough staff to cover the wards and moving people around on a daily basis, reacting to things like COVID, um, ensuring discharges are effective and so on. So it's a varied role, no two days are the same. I do spend a lot of time with our local universities as part of the sort of supporting with their student recruitment and also student evaluation. We do take a lot of students. I provide role model supervision for the students enrolled emerging placements. So I provide some long arm supervision and I chair the BAME staff network within my local hospital as well. So quite a varied role. Yeah, so that kind of gives the kind of potential scope as you change from being completely clinical to going mm -hmm. up the seniority and you can have like a variety of roles and you've got that management side um, doing the mm -hmm. operational things as well, but you also attached yourself to the university as well so that mm -hmm. you can work with the future generations of occupational therapists. Yeah. So you've got... Um, a kind of wide scope in your responsibilities going on there. Mm. So yeah. So you, I still do miss the um the patient contact though, because that's yeah. my favorite bit of the job. So when we're really mm. short staff, I get my uniform on, yeah. I go into the wards and I do some I call it real OT. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. But then you we've got you as a role model to show mm. us where we can be um, as we move up in seniority. So in mm. a way, that's a blessing that we can see you and hear you today mm. in, in a different position other than clinical. So yeah. thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that. Um, Kalima. Okay, so I've worked in a varied, varied jobs as well. I've done uh, mental health, you know, dementia, um, jobs that Kossel was talking about, intermediate care, uh, bed-based rehab, community rehab, neuro. Um, at the moment, I'm in uh, prisons, uh, social care. So we're looking at um, prisoners who may be disabled or have learning disabilities and things like that, what support we can provide within the prison, sometimes get involved with release planning or like when they're being transferred and things like that to make sure that their needs were met. Uh, the same as how they would be in the community and uh, also doing some moving and handling as well equipment provision and things like that within the prisons which is completely different to uh, a, pre a previous NHS role. Yeah, so oh, that's fascinating. Prison always, mm. I, I think if I can inquire a bit more if that's all right. That's fine, go ahead. So <laughs> I was just thinking so you're in the justice system and how do we use our activity-based skills and knowledge to enable them to exit out of prison into somewhere that they feel they've got the skills to carry on and not do something to get them back into prison? Where is that point where we can work with them in prison and then continue with them if you like outside because it, it's a kind of a, a mm. long-term thing isn't it 
That social justice. Oh, yeah, well, social, social care is different within the prison. So you're looking at what you do in the community. You're looking at um, equipment. You're looking at can they wash and dress themselves? Can they feed themselves? Can they collect their meals? Mm. Uh, you know, could they could they shower, toileting? So you're looking at the basic basic things for them within the prison you're looking at the environment um can they get up and down stairs can they get on, on and off the bed on and off the toilet providing bits of equipment maybe rails and things like that inside the cells as well so we don't actually get involved with the the rehab that you're talking about usually that's separate contracts uh, there's no ot's that's uh you know private firms or you know bid for those for those contracts to do that work within the prison. You also do have a forensic mental health section where there is an OT that works in that section. And she does some some things with the um, clients there with some of the prisoners. Mm. So yeah, well, it's completely different. It's, it's actually, uh, it's a new role. It's only been around, I think, since the CARE Act in 2015, since the amendment for prisons. Mm. So it's actually quite new. So even within the prison, some people don't really know who you are. So we're, we're not mental health social care within the prison so and we do provide equipment moving and handling you know the symbol end of life um prisoners there long-term conditions things like that so you would get involved um with them there and then if they're not going to be released and they're going to maybe pass away in prison you would then provide all the equipment and things that they need in the prison uh, alongside the healthcare as well and then or you might be get them transferred if they're able to but that, that doesn't really have anything to do with us that's the criminal justice system itself we just basically provide what we need to at that particular point we don't get involved with the legal aspect and that's the criminal justice system so you've got to know your place oh yeah no sorry that was me my misunderstanding when I heard you I didn't fully mm. get the totality of your role just then so it's good you explained that to me so mm. yeah so I, I can see now where, where you're coming in and how you're working with them and it's really different from what I had in my mind mm -hmm. uh, mm. that you were doing was assuming that and that's what I wanted to hear but actually yeah. you've got quite a different remit within that so thank you for clarifying that because um, that's interesting to hear mm. that it's still that social care need going mm. into the prison service that we would see out there in the community yeah. going into people's homes as well. Yeah. So they have care, a care agency also that, that the local authority commission. So if they can't wash and dress themselves, for example, or feed themselves, you'll have a carer that will have to assist them with those things as well. So usually when you see OT in prison, you think of the forensic side of things, the mental health side, but we're purely the social care side for more kind of health needs as opposed to, we would work with people with mental health needs as well, um, if they're having difficulties with these ADLs, with the activities of daily living, personal activities, we would, we would support them with that. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for clarifying that. See Claire? Yeah, um, so I, well, since I, I think since, even when I was at uni, I kind of knew I wanted mental health. I've, I've always loved and had an interest in mental health, how the mind works, how that affects people and their function. So I straight away, that's, that's where I went. <laughs> so um, I work in um, working age inpatient mental health services. I'm kind of in a part management, part clinical role. Um, so that includes kind of overseeing, I think seven wards that we have um, for working age patients, um, kind of focusing on recovery um, and, you know, seeing what skills people have, 
um, can we do can we do a little bit of rehabilitation while they're on the ward or who can we link them up with so we kind of start working with community OTs and kind of outside services as well just to allow that transition from inpatient to getting them back into the community because that's what we basically focus on as um, part of recovery and the process that we follow um, so yeah that kind of involves um, assessing patients when they come in uh, looking at their function um, seeing if home is the best place for them or is maybe a supported type of accommodation better for them and then supporting those services that they're going to go into to be able to help them um, to meet their needs so I think that's kind of that's kind of what we do at the moment and of course um, intake students as well we've got about we've got so many students right now probably like six or seven at the moment um, as we always do so yeah it's just kind of supporting the journey and that that patient journey mm. well wow, there's like a sort of themes coming through to me uh, mm. through what you're saying even a death even though you're not completely clinical there is that thing about understanding the people that you're serving and then trying to provide what's going to be best for them whether you're in management or directly in clinical with the patients and service users and that's kind of core occupational therapy isn't it like being a person centered the individualization of understanding what's required and links onto your care act as well which was really pushing that from the community um yeah that was interesting kind of making me feel like that was the thing i sometimes miss is is doing that because um we'll go on to the next question but it, you know i do feel like somehow i was pushed out a little bit of from where I was so that's why I went to education but we'll have that discussion in a moment um, so I'm going on to the next question have there been any challenges in your career due to your ethnicity if yes how did you move forward from the challenge or challenges can I go to Kalima for that one start okay. there um, yeah, I've had challenges, I would say, in one particular role, um, one of my NHS roles, I did have, um, I would say, direct racial discrimination. Um, in the end, I did raise a grievance, and this was a, against the manager. Um, and when the, during the investigation, I think, think that, that people didn't really want to speak up, so no one really wanted to speak up. So in the end, you know, it was no case to answer, really, because there wasn't that those witnesses who initially said that they would, um, you know, they would come forward. So um, in the end, after all of that, I mean, it was a couple of years. Um, in the end, I ended up leaving, really. Um, I just wasn't going to put myself or my health through um, those issues. Um, in other roles, yes, more, more microaggressions you might find. Um, and to be honest, what I do is ignore it. There's nothing else that I can do. So I just have to get on with my job and just ignore things really that's how I get on with it yeah oh, ignoring yeah 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 but that can take yeah. its toll after mm. a while mm. definitely yeah. well thank, thanks that that was really 
in a way, I would say open of you to share that because that's a big thing to just experience such direct racism from a person in a place of power. It makes you mm. powerless in one sense, you know, and because there's a network mm. of managers that will stick together and, you know, and you mm. as that one person has to deal with it. Yeah. But um, you're, you're, you're here and you're all together. And uh, <laughs> I hope there's a we support you in BAME OT Network, but I'm sure you have your mm. support systems as well. Sikla, what about you? Um, question. I think at the moment I'm quite lucky uh, in terms of management and kind of like the team that I work in it's I would say quite diverse I think we have quite a lot of um, BAME OTs at the moment and even OT students and management whether that's within occupational therapy or it's within the nursing side so I think I'm quite lucky there now but I think when I initially started you know I was straight out of university you know, you're quite naive um I think there was something happening <laughs> with management there um and I couldn't understand it at first um I remember we had two um two black female OTs that used to work there and there was an and then I came in becoming the third one initially and I hadn't realized it then until it was explained to me but um in a sense, the manager at that time was trying to kind of split us up so that it's not three black people in one space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it initially because I was mm -hmm. thinking, why, 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 why would that matter? Mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't physically, she didn't verbally say it, but um, that's what my colleagues felt. And it's yeah, it's quite sad really because both of them ended up leaving um that job and yeah when I look back at it I can I can see it now mm. but at the time I was kind of like I was in this place where I was kind of confused my first job you know I'm fresh out of university I'm like what, what's happening but like I said at, at the moment now it's, it's pretty good <laughs> pretty good and diverse and um you can have those conversations if anything comes up <laughs> yeah that's so fresh to hear and so good to hear that that mm. can go on and that can happen that you can be uh in a much more diverse setting and because of that diversity it's so healthy for the team that mm. you, you can be open and you can have those discussions exactly so that's, that's really good to hear Sikla mm. what about Kosovo um, so I, I also feel like I've been quite lucky, but I feel like it's a shame to feel like I'm lucky because I've not experienced. <laughs> it's just we shouldn't have to be saying that, should we? But I mean, I've I've worked in two different roles since I qualified in 2016, acute mental health and in an integrated care team. And in both roles, I have to admit, I've had really supportive teams. I've never noticed anyone discriminating against me, not, not in terms of staff anyway, um, because of my race or my colour. In my first job, I had one colleague who was um, BAME background, one of our OT techs, and the rest weren't, but we got on amazingly. I'm, I'm catching up with him tomorrow. You know, we're still great friends. And I had one BAME um, student in that role as well. But as I said, no issues. And in this job, I've got one BAME um, colleague who's a physio. 
um, the rest are non-BAME, but I, I've not, I'm, I'm really lucky to say that I've not experienced any prejudice towards me that I'm aware of, not from staff members. It can be a bit different from patients. I live and live and work in Hampshire, which is predominantly white. So yeah, but I, I have been lucky, I have to admit. That is fantastic. And it's good mm -hmm. to hear. It's good to hear these examples of positiveness, to yeah. know that there is some light you know, happening, yeah. and that it does happen, that it is, yeah. it is good, but it is rare. It is, <laughs> and, and that's what I've learned, and I think that's the sad and scary thing, having these mm. discussions, I've learned that I really am the anomaly, and there's so many other people that have had awful experience, and that's, what, I mean, I shouldn't have to say I'm lucky, but I am, I'm lucky mm. that I haven't experienced it like other people have. Yeah, so, yeah. Mm. yeah, no, that, that's good to hear. A depth. What about yourself? Okay, so mine's a story of two halves, really. So before I moved to Newcastle, I was working in Brent, London Borough Brent. And Brent, as you all know, is one of the most multicultural boroughs in London. And our team consisted of mixed. So there was half white and half blacks. And it was fine. There was no problems. We all got on like a house on fire. And we, 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 we enjoyed working with each other. And it was a great team. Really missed it when I moved up to Newcastle because that was a very different kettle of fish. So walking down the hospital corridors in Newcastle over 10 years ago, just over 10 years, there's nobody that looks like me. Mm. I was a strange phenomenon. And so I think people didn't know how to take me. So it was interesting. Going up as a manager of a service, um, there was a group of OTs who decided that they would not be managed by a black OT, which is fair enough. But um, so lots of challenges initially for those first two years, it was really, really tough. There were challenges around my accent. Um, staff were saying they couldn't understand me. There were challenges around you walk into a room, you're talking to people and they ignore you. You're walking down the corridor, you say hello and nobody answers you back. And then if you're, if you're presenting to a group of senior managers, you've said something, they didn't hear you. But as soon as a white person says the same thing you've said, you know, those microaggressions, oh, everybody hears. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was really uh, an eye-opener for me. And I think that was the first time that I've actually experienced that the color of my skin makes people treat me differently. But it was, as I said, the first two years were really tough. And so what I used to do, because I had all my support network in London, on a Friday evening, I used to jump on the train and come to London, get my support, show up myself for the weekend, dash back to Newcastle on Sunday evening, back to work for the week. And so <laughs> it was um, years I went to London to get my hair done. I went to London to see my friends. I was singing in a choir. So I kept those relationships because I needed that at the time. Mm. It's not so I don't need it as much now because I've got a network of friends that have mm. developed over the years. But when 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 the time really gets tough, I've got a favorite quote and it says, life's like a camera. Focus on what's important, capture the good times. And if things don't work out, just give it another shot. Oh. So mm -hmm. that's that's how I cope. Okay. Oh. Wow, I don't know what to say to that. That's brilliant. I love that quote. 
I think it's it's so important that we do celebrate the goodness that is around us. Yeah. I know probably Kosua and Sikli, you're hearing all the all the negatives that mm -hmm. is in the majority that we can't deny no. it is there. Mm -hmm. um, but within that, we have times of loveliness and times of brightness. And um, I think it's important we celebrate those as well because the stuff that's going on around us and every time they say, you know, it's the way of the world. They Every incident is a rediscovery of racism. It hasn't really mm -hmm. gone away. No. <laughs> it's, it's not been... new. No. <laughs> and Can I just pop in there a bit, Dim, uh, Mitch? Um, yeah. Although my experience in the first couple of years were um, challenging, yeah. The, la the last few years have been great because what I did, I sort of threw myself into the staff network so that because my experience was so bad, I didn't want anybody else from a beginning background coming in to experience what I did. Although <laughs> bits of it still remain, but I tried to support them as best as I can in terms of making sure that, you know, we smooth the path for those coming behind us. Mm. And it's not all bad. I've got the best team in the world now. I'm the only black one in there, but... <laughs> It's the greatest OT team ever. So things but, do change. But I think, yeah, that's true. And I think it's something about, I don't know about your young ones, Kalima, <laughs> Kasuba, Sikla, when you get to like a death and me, um, mm -hmm. something about age and experience that makes you, and you shouldn't have to be, but makes you bolder and braver. And I do hate those words when it comes to just wanting the same as everybody else. Why do I have to be bold and brave to, to, to get that? But it's something that does come with age that you do feel that you can go into those spaces that originally used to feel uncomfortable. And now you think, actually, it's just a space that I should be in like everybody else and I'm going in there you know but mm. I don't know about you guys since I have become so much more vocal and less invisible I have uh, found uh, some of my friends are finding it uncomfortable and don't want to talk to me about it friends that I've known forever suddenly they're ignorance and fragility has come to the surface that I never really noticed. And I never really noticed because I never really uh, made vocal that my feelings and the things that have happened to me, I've always kept it quiet. Mm. But now I've talked about it, it's suddenly too awkward for them. So I don't know if, if, if you felt that ever at all, any of you that suddenly your friendship groups are changing because you you don't want to be quiet anymore. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say necessarily within the profession, but I think especially within the last few months and a lot of people have been speaking up a lot more. You've noticed that I've been called aggressive in the last few months. I've been told to just, oh, you know, can we just talk about something else? You know, it's it's not a big it's not a big issue. It is a big issue, mm -hmm. and. You know, people want you to shut up and be quiet, but actually these conversations need to be had. And, yeah. you know, 
people need to realize, open your eyes, see what's going on, see what you've been blind to for a long time and see what other people have actually been experiencing for their whole lives. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think the same. I don't think it's uh, personally like my friendship groups, but I think more people that, you know, you've grown up, that I've grown up with and that I thought I knew and um, kind of seeing their opinions and mm. views and you start thinking, oh, I didn't know if you felt this way. Quite scary. <laughs> yeah. it, is, it is quite scary. It is quite scary, particularly when you think, okay, you know, there's, there's some kind of understanding there and there's definitely some uncomfortableness. I mean, even in, in you know, work environments, people don't want to talk about it. If you try to bring it up, it's, it's, it's silent as if as a, you can hear a pin drop. But mm -hmm. like we've said, people need to be made uncomfortable and mm -hmm. we need to make them so uncomfortable that they eventually get comfortable to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's definitely. That's a great point, Sikla. Yeah. So uncomfortable that you're going to get comfortable to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that mm. that's a great point. Um, I, I don't know, um, Kalima, have you got anything to say? Um, uh, yeah, I think with me, I think at work, there isn't any discussion. Uh, there's a few emails that come around for maybe the director or CEO, mm. you know, that talks about like, you know, BLM movements and things like that. But amongst the, the people, uh, there isn't any discussion. And I think people are very uncomfortable. Um, personally, my personal life, no, I haven't really had any issues, but um, the my friendship circles, I was able to talk about these things anyway. Um, so yeah, my, 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 my very small friendship circles, I'm, I'm kind of okay, but but wider, I don't really think I've had much discussions as such, um, yeah, with people I don't know. That's interesting. Um, I was just saying before we started the recording that uh, um, at my workplace, we've started an initiative called um, AHP um, students, it's the race and um, cultural equity group, which is based on the one um, from our BAME OT member, Juin, that she does it at her university. So we based mm. it on that. She advised us about it. And we've just started that. And mm. my boss is very openly supportive and wants to engage and, you know, has, has declared that very very openly that she has been complicit in it because really she didn't really know what to do and now mm -hmm. she feels like she can talk openly to me and the other person that's mm -hmm. working with me she, she feels free now to talk about mm -hmm. it and and to be awkward and to uh, you know, say, this is what I understand, this is my ignorance, I'm not too sure, and actually not feel scared about saying that. Mm. Because you can, you can engage with that, can't you? When it's said mm. and yeah. it's spoken about, then you can relate to it. It's the bit when it's quiet, you don't know what's mm. happening. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it is important for tr my trust has been pretty good. They've developed different networks. So there's a BAME network, there's an LGBTQ network. So and they've been and that's well, obviously during COVID and I think it's around June time and they've been really proactive in trying to get people to talk and get allies. So I have mm -hmm. to say that my trust has been pretty good in trying to develop that and getting people to have those awkward conversations. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think that's even the same with uh, mine as well. We've started a group well, that I'm kind of leading, um, like a working group. Mm have those open conversation to see okay how can we I know we're quite diverse in terms of well we're more diverse than what I've seen in previous OT <laughs> OT um, teams but it, it mm -hmm. could be better of course you can always do better um, so it's yeah it's about increasing that and having having those conversations and taking it to kind of some of um, um, other main members of our OT team who may be a little bit uncomfortable with it or who may not know or realise, you know, um, of this bias that they might have. Mm. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a work, it's work in progress. Yeah, definitely <laughs> a work in progress. So I, I think there's some really interesting themes coming out of that, that there are activities going on everywhere right now, isn't it? It's like a perfect storm for change and we need to capitalize on it, isn't there? There's so much going on uh, in legislation, in education, around uh, COVID-19 and uh, that raising these race and health inequalities within society. There is so much opening up that if we don't grab it and start molding and manipulating some kind of good out of it mm -hmm. um it will be a lost opportunity i think seriously um but yeah i, I think there's there's still a lot of work to do and still a long journey here but yes thank you for sharing that it was so interesting and also to feel like i'm not going crazy and i'm not alone <laughs> <laughs> That this is not a soul experience, but there's good stuff, definitely. Don't forget the good stuff. So I've got my next question, if you're all ready. Um, what do you like? This is a nice question. What do you like about the profession? And what makes you proud to be an occupational therapist? A death, if I go to you first. Hey, so I like the fact that OTs are dual trained in both mental health and physical health. And so I like the fact that we enable people to live the lives that they want to live. We empower them. I like the fact that we can support the entire person. So I am proud to be an OT because I know I make a difference to people's lives. It is a career that enables me to live my values in that I can live my values in my intervention with patients and in my interaction with my staff because this career as an OT enables me to lead with compassion and that's what I'm all about. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Kalima. Kalima's looking with dread now. <laughs> How do I follow that? <laughs> um, what I like about the profession again, being duly trained and just able to just look at someone with a holistic approach so you look at obviously mental health, physical health and all the, you know, the environment as well. And just enabling the person to, you know, be functional if, you know, or um, to provide support that they need to kind of enable them to live, you know, live a fulfilling life. So that's what, what, what I quite like about the profession and, and the job. And that's why I like it as well. I, I do think that I have a different view being obviously in the UK or whatever I, I do have a different view especially when I have uh, you know patients from you know black and um, Asian or 
ethnic minority um, uh, patients, I'm able to, I, I think I bring a different perspective and I, I do find that they, they value that. And I've had lots of feedback about that as well. So um, yeah, I, I just feel that I just enjoy making a difference really. Yeah. Thank you, Kalima. Yes, that, that joy of making a difference, that's so important for, you, for the person, but also the therapist that you've made that change. Mm. Kosova, over to you. Um, so I agree, like both of you have said about being dual trained, I think that's so important. When I went from my role in acute mental health to physical integrated care team, I had so many people like, oh my gosh, what, how are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And I was like, well, why wouldn't I do it? You know, <laughs> we're one person, mental and physical health, it goes hand in hand. Um, and I think people forget that. So I just feel mm. that we're giving people the tools to be independent. I feel like, you know, we see people in some of their really lowest and darkest moments, but we're still able to kind of support them pick them up but enable themselves to pick them up you know give them those tools to make life better for you know for whatever reason it might be um, and I just think our role within the MDT is so important the multidisciplinary team I think sometimes people look over at OTs I found this in mental health especially oh you know the basket weavers no that's not just what we do you know we bring a lot to the table and it's a powerful can... powerful tool there you go <laughs> exactly and when you can really evidence the difference that you've made and show those outcomes it's you know mm. people really respect the profession so I love being an OT I think it's great <laughs> thank you Sika um I like that we get to look at the little tiny things and every little detail. Mm. I feel like when I look at all the professions, the doctors, they're, they're focusing on medicine. And again, it's the holistic way um, approach, I guess, when I, when I say looking at the little things and every little detail. Nurses, they're focusing on particular things, but then there's physios focusing on something else. And then we're focused, we're looking everywhere. We're everywhere, we're nosy and I love mm. it. Mm. Um, <laughs> I love that we, you know, at work, if I don't know if I need to assess someone's road skills, we can go outside, whereas the nurses might just have to stay inside and the doctors mm -hmm. just need to stay inside to see someone. I can go to the shops with somebody. I can, we can go shopping. We can have a jolly good time. We can, mm -hmm. you know, do so many things. And I, and I just love that this profession gives you that chance to do so much and to really see somebody in, mm -hmm. few, view, in few view. So I think that's, that's what I love mm -hmm. about it. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm not always doing the same thing, um, which can get a little boring. I like to explore. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fantastic. That whole understanding of the human being and the social being and the complex being. That's why, you know, it's all multifactorial, multiple components that make us <laughs> up. And that's what keeps us excited about the profession because we can do so many things. I mean, if we look at, you know, Kalima, yours is social care and people might think, oh, well, what can you do? Just give equipment and stuff. But you're dealing with a different person every time with different mm -hmm. needs, you know, and that's what's exciting about that. You know, you don't know what you're going to see and how it's going to spark your creativity to think about how do I now help this person do what they need to do or you know uh, live out their last days in a in a dignified way 
um, and and that's what makes it precious to be so involved with someone in 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 such a way. Mm-hmm. It's almost intimate, but also it's about the macro stuff that come out of it, and that's the complexity of what we do. Um, it's so exciting become an <laughs> occupational therapist. <laughs> so now we're coming to the last question. Um, what would you say to encourage people from black and other ethnicities heritage to join the profession? Kalima. Sorry, repeat the question. Sorry, my internet was... No, that's all right. What would you say to encourage people from black, Asian and other ethnicities to join the profession? Okay. I would say I would encourage them to become an OT and um, and just you tell them you can bring a different approach. Obviously, we do need more research. We do need more um, BAME people within research as well uh, to look at, you know, the different assessment tools and things that we use to make sure that they're more inclusive. So I would kind of encourage them to uh, become an OT and just try to, you know, just drive, drive the workforce, really. Um, but yeah, it's hard work. It can be some. It can be hard work. But yeah, if you're all for it. Look, you're smiling, so it must be enjoyable as you're talking about it. You're beaming, so it's a good, a good place. But like any other job, there are some challenges there as well. Definitely. Oh, death. What course, about yourself? Yeah. Sorry, I muted myself earlier. So I would say to my BAME colleagues. This profession needs you. As occupational therapists, you know, we we need to be able to engage our patients in meaningful occupations. In order to do this, we need to understand the cultural context in which people live. Um, It's becoming more apparent now during this pandemic that BAME people have been more impacted by it. And so there's a long rehabilitation road ahead for um, folks who've had long COVID, et cetera, et cetera. As a black OT in this space, you can make a difference because you'll be able to tailor your interventions to support this. So you'll be able to understand the pain and the trauma and the hunger that impacts on one's occupational performance. And in understanding this, it enables you to provide interventions that will address these issues and their impact. There are very few black OTs within the profession and we need to increase this number significantly going forward. There are those of us who've gone before who are trying to prepare the way for you. And we hope that as we're going on before we become aspirational role models so that you too can join this wonderful profession that we have as OTs and make a difference in this space. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's brilliant. Oh my God, who's going to follow? Kosua. <laughs> that was a perfect answer. Can I give that answer? <laughs> we just replay it, replay it. <laughs> um, I just think, like like Adet said, there's, we're, we're a minority. I mean, it says it in the name, doesn't it? But especially with an occupational therapy, it is a predominantly white female profession. And I just feel we need to break through those, you know, we need to push out the boundaries, we need to break down those barriers, we need to be in those spaces, we need to get um, more BAME students in, get them into conferences, go out to the schools, really show off the profession, and I just feel patients, sometimes patients like to see someone who's like them, 
and that might be in whatever way skin color gender background anything but sometimes you know that can be the first step to actually starting to break down those barriers and getting to know your patients and if they've not got that option or that opportunity you know where does that leave us and I just think you know it's a great profession I just feel that there's so many opportunities and it's being missed at the minute and I think we really need to make our voice heard so come and join us thank you see Claire yeah I think Kosovo just stole everything out of my head there. <laughs> <laughs> I was preparing my little speech in my head but no exactly exactly what exactly what um Kosovo said it's about kind of breaking down those back barriers I'll say don't be discouraged Mm. Uh, because you know once, once you start you might go into areas like we discussed where there's you are the only fame person there or the minority but that's that that is where it starts that is where it starts you start breaking down those barriers by putting yourself in those in those positions and then we'll slowly build slowly build up so um, no, I would I would really encourage um, people from BAME backgrounds to come and join because this is this is the time to make a change and it, I think it's quite exciting, especially with stuff like this. It starts with us who are here right now, who are BAME OTs here right now, and thinking about how can we bring people in, how can we increase the amount of BAME um, students and OTs um, who are coming. So I think, yeah, it also starts with us and kind of doing these things, opening up different platforms to, to let them know what's out there and um, to, yeah, kind of see their options. So I think, I think that's, that's what I would say. Thank you. Gosh, such powerful women with powerful voices. Thank you so much. That's really good. I, and I can see that when people see this little video, that they'll see the passion and the the kind of joy when you're talking about the profession that's oozing out of you as you discuss mm. it. So thank you so much for your time tonight and, you know, uh, out of your busy lives and taking time to share your experiences and your voices. And yes, first episode of fame ot uk thank you ladies thank, thank you so you much thank you. Bye -bye. Thanks for organizing bye, bye.